0: <clears throat> Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's two for six. For a limited time, price of participation may vary at U.S. Wendy's. On the card only, single item at regular price. So my first memory in church, like many of you, centers on prayer. I can remember back to Mrs. Frank's Sunday school class at Calvary United Methodist Church. I can remember cutting pre-printed prayers out of construction paper and then gluing them onto a paper plate in a circular manner. And that was either to teach us that our prayers are connected to one another uh, and to each prayer, or the Sunday school program had just run out of cardstock for that particular time of year. I can remember sitting in youth group in our church basement and waiting anxiously for our youth director to call on someone to pray before we had dinner. The upside to praying before dinner was that you got to go first and so if there wasn't a volunteer you would get called upon to do so and for me that was an anxiety-filled moment because on one hand I'm trying to balance my coolness with all of the girls that are there at youth group and then I'm also trying to balance that coolness with not letting the older kids know how nervous I am so thus they will think that I'm cooler than I thought I was. And so our youth director would call on someone to pray, and in that moment of youth group Russian roulette, I could feel my heart getting ready to jump out of my chest into the chafing dish that was sitting there with whatever pasta dish we were going to have that week. In seminary, of all places, finding someone to pray was a difficult task at the beginning of class. It's either because you have your professor who's an expert in prayer, staring at you while you're trying to mumble through some words, throwing in a $15 seminary word that you learned a few hours earlier, or it's because you know your classmates are dissecting and critiquing every single word that you're saying as you pray. Prayer causes the anxiety of many people to rise, and you know this because During church meetings or in Sunday school classes, when it comes time to pray, it's as though someone pulled the pin on a hand grenade and threw it into the middle of the classroom, and everyone is running for cover. Personally, I have found the best way to get out of praying is to pretend that I'm one step ahead of the leader of the class or the meeting. So here's a pro tip. Just fold your hands, close your eyes, and bow your head, and you're not going to get called on. We forget that, as Thomas Merton put it, prayer acts as our communion with our freedom with God and God's ultimate freedom. Jesus had turned towards Jerusalem, and the disciples asked him, Lord, how do we pray? They've been following Jesus now for 11 chapters, and this is the first and only time the disciples will ask Jesus to specifically teach them how to do something and the odd thing is is that the disciples have seen jesus pray over and over again throughout the gospels we find jesus either praying in front of his disciples or them watching him slip away to pray and now in a crucial piece of what jesus will teach to his disciples he taught his disciples that prayer is an indispensable act that places us, the one praying, into direct contact with the generosity of God. Jesus told his disciples that offering a prayer for the one praying and those being prayed over, that places everyone into an intimate encounter with our Creator. Luke's accounting of what Jesus taught the disciples to pray It has less detail in it than the version that we typically pray on Sunday morning, whether it be during the prayers of the people or when we gather at the Lord's table. And I first learned that prayer when I was in third grade, like many of you. I say I learned it, but it was really kind of the first time it had been explained to me as part of an organized Sunday school curriculum. And more importantly, when I say I learned it, I received a gold star on my attendance sheet for each line that I memorized. And this chart was placed conspicuously on the front door of the Sunday school classroom, not only for your classmates to see as you walked in, but also for your parents to see when you were picked up, which made for awkward lunchtime conversation if you weren't keeping up with the curve of the class. So the student with the most gold stars at the end of the year would win some Sunday school prize that was probably just pulled out of the closet a few minutes before. But I remember we would stand in front of the class and we would recite the Matthew Gospel version and not the Reader's Digest version that we heard this morning. I remember standing in front of the classroom just closing my eyes to pray because after all that's what you do when you're in third grade And you pray and all I could think about was earning more gold stars to put on the door and thus my anxiety is rising my hands for some reason as a third grader are becoming sweaty my voice is becoming pitchy and I'm beginning to look around the room for any sign of classroom decoration that might aid me in figuring out what exactly I'm supposed to be saying and I wish that I could say that as I've gotten older prayer has gotten easier. But honestly, I think it's gotten more difficult. There was a recent Pew study done back in 2017 that found that 54% of mainline Protestants, that's us, 54% of us pray on a daily basis. So if you turn to your left, the person sitting next to you or you will be the one praying today. And another 23% pray on a weekly basis. So if the Lord's Prayer is truly the gift that Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willman suggest that it is, then why do nearly half of mainline Protestants, nearly half of us in this room this morning, not pray daily? After all, if we can't find the words that we are supposed to pray or we feel to pray, we have these words given to Christ's disciples and thus given to us 2,000 years later. These are words that for many of us have been etched into our brains way back when we were still breaking in the spine on that third grade bible we received. The difficulty that we have with prayer is corrected by the words Jesus gave us to pray. The answer's right in front of us in red letters. But we are so blinded by our anxiety, and we fail to see the purpose of the words that Jesus gave to his disciples. The purpose was to aid them, and thus aiding us when we don't have the words ready to pray. Jesus was not going to leave us on our own to figure out our relationship with God, figuring out where we stand in the relationship, and also how do we communicate with God. Every step of the way, Jesus spelled out for his disciples what his ministry was doing, who it glorified, and what their role, what our role in that ministry is. And what seems now to be a habit that we often just muddle through on Sunday mornings was actually designed to aid us when we either don't know what words we are to pray or we're unsure what we're even supposed to be praying for. The words that Jesus gave to his disciples to pray and the prayer that we use today serves as a habit for the church, as a habit that the church has been depending on and living on since Christ's resurrection. And habits can either be harmful or healthy. Like We all know that smoking is a bad, unhealthy habit, but running and exercise is a good and healthy habit. We could go on and on, and you know the difference between a good habit and a bad habit. And prayer is a habit that connects us with the one who breathed breath into our lungs as we were being knitted in our mother's wombs. But the problem is that this habit often just becomes an action, a a process of going through the motions rather than something that's meant to build us up and thus build up the body of Christ. There are Sundays where I know some of you just want to get through the service. And I'm not just talking about the sermon. You have somewhere else to be later this afternoon or later in the week. And while you're sitting there in that hard wooden pew, your mind is already there. I know this is true because believe it or not, for clergy, we experience the same thing. There are days when we don't know what words we are to preach or what words we are to proclaim from the pulpit. And like the liturgy that doesn't really change from week to week, the Lord's Prayer serves as a habit that we lean into when we feel as though we are bending away from God. So prayer is meant to be a habit. Jesus' prayer frees us from the need to make everything new and novel and spontaneous. This prayer eliminates the societal assumption that prayer needs to be genuine and prayer needs to be spontaneous, which is indicative of our own bondage to a culture that does not want us to be shaped by a particular Jew from Nazareth. So simply put, Bon Jovi's right. We are a community that's living on a prayer. A prayer, mind you, that lacks the $15 seminary word and, quite frankly, is not as long-winded as the sermon is. The prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples is a sufficient witness to God, made truthful by worshipers through the one who taught it to be prayed. The unsureness we feel about prayer, though, is exactly why Christ provided reassurance to his disciples through the parable he offered at the end of his teaching. A friend knocking on the door, who was unable to feed an unexpected guest, sounds like a silly story to be told. Of course, in 2019, we think we'll just go to the 24-hour grocery store or the Sunoco station up the street, find something to feed to this person, and just leave me alone. But 2,000 years ago, Middle Eastern hospitality was a little bit different. The man knocking on the door knows that the custom of the day was to welcome friends, family, Friends of friends who were traveling, because as Jesus reminded us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, travel during this day was quite dangerous. The man knocking on the door knows that his friend will get out of bed, providing whatever food was necessary, not out of a genuine desire for hospitality, but because he doesn't want to receive the glares of his neighbors in the morning, wanting to know why he didn't come to the aid of a neighbor or aid of a friend. How much more then will our Creator provide is the rationale Jesus moves to? If the neighbor is asking just for three loaves of bread, then how much more will God, the one who breathes breath into us, will give us when we petition our daily bread? Jesus offers us through this prayer and all prayer, God's sufficient grace and compassion that ensure our needs. Our daily needs are made available. The response we receive from God to the need we present, though, may not match the desires that we hold. The bread or the healing that we request from God may not mirror what we desire. And this is where the difficult work of seeking God's will through prayerful dialogue begins. This is when we begin to lean into God, bending even further towards God, so that we can catch a glimpse, we pray, of what God's will is for our lives and for the new creation that was inaugurated by Christ's resurrection. As we pray the words and make the words that Christ taught to his disciples our daily prayer, we also make it a post by which we build our faith, knowing that. That we were created by a God who desires to provide for our needs. Knowing that when we do not feel like speaking the words or we don't even have the faith in the moment to do so. Not only is this community of faith praying those words for you, but the church universal is as well. We live in a world where there is division among the church, yet Christ is still the head of the church. And through prayer, we are still connected to one another And more importantly, we are connected to Christ. Thanks be to God.